Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, anything exciting happening this weekend? Wow, wasn't that awesome? Incredible. What a fun weekend. Well, I've heard it said as it relates to A&M football, these, these four words before, maybe you've heard them, toughness, effort, discipline, and pride. Have you heard these before? And I was thinking about that even just this morning, this idea of discipline especially. Discipline is something that we do today to help us prepare for tomorrow. It's something we do today to help us prepare for tomorrow. You can tell that the football team had a lot of discipline over the last week, right? They prepared well. And I want to share with you a discipline that we can all incorporate into our lives to prepare us for tomorrow. It's a spiritual discipline. It's so powerful when we incorporate disciplines and habits into our lives that are going to equip us and prepare us today for what we're going to face tomorrow. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience where you've never been so happy to have your feet back on solid ground? Maybe, maybe it was a rough flight. Maybe it was just a, a really bad experience out on the water. Um, a roller coaster, maybe? Maybe you're a little bit more adventurous and you've gone skydiving. Anybody done that? And, and, but once you, you know, took the leap, once you jumped, you could not wait to have your feet back on solid ground. Maybe a high ropes course. Maybe even just something as simple as getting in the bounce house at your uh, kid's birthday party. Right? You can't wait to get out, get back onto solid ground. I tell you, for me, the worst place in the world is the trampoline parks. You know these places that I'm talking about? Just a warehouse full of trampolines. Really, all it is, it's a breeding ground for germs and broken bones. That's, that's all it is. But my kids used to love to go to the trampoline park, and so we would take them to the trampoline park, and, you know, I would jump in, get in there and jump on the trampolines for a while with them, and there's no better feeling than to get off and get my shoes back on and stand on solid ground where I know the ground's not going to be moved out from underneath me. I don't know. There's just something reassuring about knowing that you can have your balance, that you have a solid place to stand. Have you seen this show, Wipeout? Anybody? We watch this show, Wipeout, every once in a while. If you haven't seen it, it's a show where some competitors go through an obstacle course. And this obstacle course is just kind of made up of, of, uh, of, of, of things that spin around in circles or foam rollers that they have to run across or steps that they have to kind of maneuver through or it just looks like they're setting them up for failure though it's all over water and everything's kind of slippery and everybody falls and it sometimes sometimes we have those days where our life just feels like we're in the middle of a wipeout course don't we and sometimes it's a big course and sometimes just a little course but we feel like there's nowhere solid to stand and if you're like me, in those moments, you begin to believe the worst. You begin to believe the worst about yourself, about others, and about your circumstances. I'll tell you, this happened to me just this past week. Last Sunday, I stood right up here on this stage in front of, if you were here, in front of you and in front of others who were here. And I got to share about a, a new group that we're about to launch that we're so excited about, a group called Explore. And we had been kind of praying about Explore for months and preparing and kind of getting leadership ready. And we had planned to promote it last Sunday and make it as easy as possible to get all the information that you needed about Explore and to sign up and be a part of this group. And so we shared about that. And I shared that all you have to do is get on our website and you can get the information. You can sign up. 
Well, last Sunday, before the services, early last Sunday morning, I was up in my office and I had scheduled, it was on my calendar, to make some changes to the online settings for all of our adult small groups. And there's just some scheduled changes, so I made those changes. And what I did not realize until Monday morning was that when I made those changes, I made it impossible for anybody to access the Explore group. And here I was. I had stood up here. Go to our website. Sign up. Get all the information you need. We wanted to make it as easy as possible, and I made it absolutely impossible. And when I discovered that Monday morning, I was devastated. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've, I've let down. I've let you down. I've let God down. I'm, I'm a miserable failure at my job. This is terrible. Why am I doing this? Why? Maybe I just need to go across the street to Dutch Brothers and serve coffee or something. I mean, I just felt awful. And it took me some time to recalibrate my thoughts. By the way, if you're interested in Explore, it's fixed now. You can get on and, and get the information. I forgot to say that in the last service. It happens as a dad sometimes where I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or I overreact or underreact and things just go downhill with the kids and, and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm just a terrible dad. I'm messing my kids' lives up. It can happen in marriage. It can happen in all different areas of life. And I just spiral out of control. It's amazing how quickly I can internally just feel like I'm bouncing around with no place to land and I don't have a solid place to plant my feet. Are you, are you with me on this? Do you feel this? Have you been there before? Have you experienced that? Where you just want someplace solid to stand and, but you feel like you're in the middle of this game of wipeout. And maybe on the outside nobody knows because you've gotten really good at faking it. I mean, we've all gotten good at that, right? But on the inside... You just feel like there's nowhere solid to stand. You're just about to wipe out. You're about to fall on your face any second now. We've been through this, right? And it probably looks a little bit different for all of us. Probably looks a little bit different. But we know the feeling. We just want something solid, something that's unshakable, something that's unmovable, a place that we can stand and say, this is true, this is right, and so I'm going to stand right here no matter what's going on around me in this moment. Maybe you're not feeling that right now, but you have, right? And you will again. Or maybe I've perfectly described your life right now, and you're feeling this. Either way, I want you to, I want you to know something. I want to share something with you this morning. There's hope, and there's freedom, and there is a solid place to stand. And we're going to discover that together this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we'll be in Matthew, the very end of chapter 3 and the very beginning of chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. It'll be right here on the screen. But we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector in the first century. Now, a tax collector is the worst of the worst. And by his own account, there was only one rung on the ladder lower than a sinner, and that was a tax collector. And that's what Matthew was. But God, through Jesus, came along and chose him and invited him to follow him. And Matthew took him up on that op offer and Matthew walked with Jesus for several years, and later in life he had the opportunity to record this firsthand account and experience of the life of Jesus. And I'm so glad he did because he shares something that happened in the life of Jesus that speaks so much truth and so much life into the ex this experience that we all have, a feeling like we have no place solid to stand. And so we're going to take a look in Matthew chapter 3. He writes about Jesus' baptism. It says Jesus went down to be baptized by John the Baptist. And we're going to pick up right after that happens in verses 16 and 17, the last two verses of Matthew chapter 3. 
as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now, he was in the Jordan River, and so he's just walking out of the river. And here's what happens. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Imagine the scene here. You have John the Baptist, who's been down at the river preaching this message of repentance. You have lots and lots of people from Jerusalem and all over Judea who have come to hear his message and to be baptized by him. You have skeptics and religious leaders who have come just to watch and observe. And you have Jesus, who was relatively unknown at the time. This is before his public ministry started, who John just baptizes, and he's coming up out of the water. And there's this voice from heaven that everybody can hear. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out, this is one of the places in the Bible where we see all three persons of the Trinity together. You've got Jesus the Son, who's being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, and you have God the Father, who speaks audibly, who speaks truth and identity over Jesus. The Trinity, three unique individual persons, one God. Such a hard concept to wrap our minds around. And I want you to know, beginning next Sunday, Pastor Will's going to be back, beginning a brand new series teaching about the Trinity. I'm so excited about that. I can't wait for that. I hope you'll plan to be back, because he's going to help us unpack and understand more of what that looks like and what that means. But here we have the Father say, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. This is what we might call a, a mountaintop moment, a mountaintop experience, and I hope you've had some mountaintop experiences in your life where you feel so close to God, where you can almost hear him speak to you, where you know and understand what, 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 he, what he's saying, that he loves you, and, and, and you're, it's so easy to have faith in those moments, a mountaintop moment. I hope you've had that. I know I've had some of those moments, and they're, they're outstanding. They're, they're just incredible. I love those moments. But let's take a look at what happens. Remember, 16 and 17 was the last two verses in chapter 3. Chapter 4 now, the very first verse says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So immediately, he goes from this mountaintop incredible moment at the river being baptized and hearing the voice of God into the desert. Now, there's not much good that happens in the desert, is there? It's just hot and dry and lonely, and all you want is just some kind of relief. You want some shade. You want a, a cool breeze. You want a cold glass of water. Maybe you've been in the desert before, and I'm not talking the literal desert, but maybe you've been in a desert moment. Maybe you're in a desert moment, a desert situation right now, where you're in some kind of circumstance, something has happened, maybe it's because of something you said or did, or maybe it was because of something that you have absolutely no control over. But either way, you found yourself right there in the desert, and all you want is some relief. And you don't feel like there's any place solid to plant your feet. Well, this is where Jesus was. And I think God uses desert situations in our life sometimes to test us, to refine our faith, to remind us who he is and who we are to help us to rely on him more. He uses desert situations in our lives to help us to walk away from those moments stronger than when we walked into those moments. And we see that happen with Jesus. Just a few verses later, Jesus leaves the desert with purpose, 
with power, with authority. See, God used this time in the desert to equip him and prepare him for the ministry that he had in front of him. And I think God wants to do the same thing with you and with me in those desert moments if we let him. But here he is. He's in the desert. He's been led there by the Spirit, and it says to be tempted by the devil. And then here's what happens in verse 3. The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, check this out, if you are the Son of God. Do you remember what had just happened? Jesus had been baptized. He was coming out of the river, and God had audibly spoken in front of who knows how many people there at the river. This is my son. And the first thing that happens in the desert is the devil comes and whispers, if you are the son of God. It's so subtle. It's such a subtle little seed of doubt that Satan is planting in his mind. And it happens in the desert. You think this still happens today? You're in the desert you're in the middle of a circumstance that you would never choose for yourself. Things seem to be falling apart. You feel like you're losing your footing. It's getting easier and easier to, to think the worst about yourself and about others and about God. Do you think in that moment Satan might just step in and plant a seed? If God really loved you, if God really cared, you think this would be happening? You see, there's nothing more that Satan wants from us than to begin to doubt what we know is true. So you begin to think, well, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't care. And it's so easy for our thoughts to spiral more and more and more out of control. And we get to a place where we think, well, how could he love me? I mean, look at me. I'm a mess. How could he care for me? He's got, he's got way bigger things to worry about than me. There's no way God could love me. And internally, we're just looking for somewhere to stand, and we can't find any solid footing anywhere, but that's really all we want. I know I've been there. Maybe, maybe it was just a simple mistake at work that affected other people. And you think, oh, I'm just a failure. I'm a miserable failure. Maybe it was over lunch with a friend, and you're sitting there listening, and then all of a sudden you begin to compare your life to theirs. You think, oh, she's such a better mom than I am. How in the world does she have it all together? Look at me, I'm a mess. You think, oh my goodness, how, how can he provide so well for his family and I'm barely scraping to get by? I'm a terrible father, I'm a terrible husband. Maybe it happens just in the darkness, in the stillness, by yourself, and you're in the middle of a circumstance, and that, that little seed is planted, and you begin to think, how in the world could this be happening to me? If, if God loved me, if there was a God, there's no way this could be happening to me. And so we don't think about it in that moment, because we're just trying to survive usually. We're just trying to find that solid footing, that place where we can plant our feet. So we don't think about it in the moment, but it's in those moments that our faith is defined, and it's in those moments that our faith is shaped. So let's talk about faith for a minute. What is faith? Well, the Bible defines it this way in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11. This, now, that, this, is, this is planned perfectly. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. <laughs> right? Yeah. We planned that. Thanks, guys. 
That's awesome. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in, in the message. He, he writes this. Faith is the firm foundation. Remember, we're looking for somewhere solid to stand, right? Faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. I love that picture. It's our handle on what we can't see. You ever walk through the house at night with all the lights out? You're just reaching for something. I know for me, my route, you know, is okay, there's the dresser. I'm not going to hit it. And there's the end of the bed. I'm not going to stub my toe on that again. There's, there's the dog's crate. And I'm, I don't want to fall. I'm just kind of reaching for things I can't see. I know they're there, but I can't see them. And so I'm relying on those things. So it's being certain of what we cannot see. It's a firm foundation, reaching for those hands. Paul writes this about faith in 2 Corinthians. We live by faith. He's talking to followers of Jesus here. We live by faith, not by sight. And in those desert moments that we all have, in those moments of wipeout, internal wipeout that we all go through, when Satan plants those subtle doubts in our minds, we're kind of at a crossroads and we have to decide, am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by sight? Living by faith means that you choose to believe that the circumstances around you define what's true about God. You choose to believe that the things that you can see with your eyes, maybe the things that you're feeling, the things that you're thinking, you choose to believe that those things define what's true about God. And so you begin to think, well, God is not with me. God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. And we can choose to believe that those circumstances begin to define what's true about you, what's true about me. And we begin to think, okay, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling is true about me. Well, how could God love me? Look at me. I'm worthless. I'm a mess. In other words, it's all based on what's right in front of our face. So we can choose to live by sight or we can choose to live by faith. Living by faith means choosing to stand firm on that foundation. And even though I can't see it, I know that it's there. And even though I can't see all these, all these handholds, I know that they're there. And so I'm going to stand right here because I know it's right and I know that it's true even though I can't see it. It's being certain of what we hope for are sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 4 and see how Jesus responded in this moment. Because remember, he's in the desert. Uh, Satan's just planted this doubt in his mind. If you are the Son of God. And he follows it up with a temptation. Let's see, let's see what happens. Jesus' response. By the way, he follows it up with a temptation to turn a, a stone into bread. I don't know if you're familiar with this account, but he says, if you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus, who, 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 who right in front of him, well, all he can see in the moment is, I'm in the desert, I'm hot, I'm hungry, right? I haven't eaten in 40 days, I'm starving, and I can see that stone, and I have the power to turn that into something good to eat. It would have been so easy in that moment to live by sight. It would have been so easy for him to say, yeah, you're right, I'm so hungry, and that looks so good. Let's see what he does. He answers this. Here it is in Matthew 4, 4. He answers, it is written. The three most powerful words that we'll look at this morning. It is written. And he follows that up 
with a verse from Deuteronomy that he quotes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He responds, it is written. In other words, my circumstances don't define what's true. My, my feelings and my thoughts, they don't define what's true about me and what's true about God. What I'm thinking right now, what I'm seeing, what's right in front of my face, and Satan, you, what you say does not define what's true about me or what's true about God. I know what's true because it is written, and God said, I am his son, and he loves me, and he's pleased with me, so I'm going to stand on this truth. I am not Satan who you say I am. I am who God says I am, and I'm going to stand firmly planted right there. I love that. It is written, and it happens three times in this account. Two more times Satan comes and tempts him, and every single time his first words are, it is written. I am so glad that Matthew included this in his, in his gospel, in his account. I'm so glad that Matthew had the foresight, the knowledge, the supernatural knowledge to know that here we are 2,000 years later, and we would need to see this. We would need to be encouraged by this, because we, just like Jesus, have desert moments in our life. And just like Jesus, we have, we have those temptations where Satan wants to come and plant those little seeds of doubt. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. And just like Jesus, we have to choose, am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by sight? And I'm so glad that we get to see how Jesus responded in those desert moments. Every time there's a doubt, every time there's a temptation, every time there's the opportunity to, to begin to believe the worst, every single time, he responds, it is written. I can't see it. I can't see it with my eyes, but I know that it's true, and I'm going to stand firm on that truth. It is written, and every day we have a choice to make too. Am I going to live by faith, or am I going to live by sight? Am I going to allow my circumstances to define what's true about me? Am I going to listen to what other people are saying? Am I going to listen to what's, what's happening on social media? Are the number of likes I get going to determine my value? Am I going to listen to what's happening in the world around me? Is that what I'm going to let define truth? Am I going to live by sight or am I going to live by faith? Am I going to turn to what is true? Even though I can't see it right now, I know it's true. And I'm going to plant my feet right there because it is written. Are you going to live by faith? Are we going to live by sight? Well, the question we have to answer then is how do we know what's true, right? How do we know what's true? Well, if you look in the book of John, the night that Jesus was arrested right before his crucifixion, he's on trial, and he's standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, and the last thing that Pilate asked Jesus is this, what is truth? That's the same question we're addressing right now. What is truth? And the fascinating thing is, as he's looking at Jesus, he's staring into the face of the one who just hours before in the upper room with his disciples had made the statement, I am the truth. That's a bold statement. How can a mere man be the truth unless he's more than a man? And that's what Jesus claimed to be. And that's what God declared over him at his baptism when he said, this is my son. And then Jesus did something remarkable. He validated that claim when he rose from the dead. He validated his claim to be the truth when he rose from the dead. And so how do we know what's true? We look at the source of truth itself. We look at Jesus, and we look at how Jesus responded in those desert moments, and how he responded was this. It is written. 
Three times he refused to allow his circumstances to define what's true. He turned to God's word. In your desert moments, and we all have them, right? Every day we're going to have some kind of a desert moment. Every day we're going to give, or Satan's going to have the opportunity to plant some kind of doubt, some kind of seed of doubt in our mind every single day. And our minds and our emotions deceive us so quickly, don't they? So here's what we have to do. We have to be very, very intentional about seeking and knowing the truth. We have to be disciplined. Prepare today for what's going to happen tomorrow. Prepare today for the desert that you're going to find yourself in tomorrow. We have to be intentional about that. It's a habit that we have to build into our lives. So practically speaking, what do we do? Remember Jesus' words. It is written. He's talking about Scripture here. He's talking about the Bible. And so listen, the very best thing that you can do, the very best thing that I can do is to build in the habit in our lives of spending time in God's Word. It's so powerful. It seems so simple, but it's so incredibly powerful because when we spend time in God's Word, what we're doing is we're immersing ourselves in truth. And there's not a whole lot of truth coming from other places in our lives, is there? We need that truth to counteract everything in the world around us. We need that truth to counteract those desert moments, those seeds that the tempter is going to plant in our minds to try to get us to doubt what we know is true. Spend time in God's Word, and maybe you've tried reading the Bible before, and it just didn't make sense, or you didn't know where to start, and I just want to encourage you today, don't give up. Try again. Find a Bible that you enjoy reading. There's lots of translations. Find one that you can understand. If you don't know where to start, start right here in Matthew. It's a story about Jesus. It's the account of the life of Jesus. Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, the first four books of the New Testament. All four are eyewitness, first-person accounts of the life of Jesus. It's a great place to start. It's the best place to start. Don't give up. And I want to share with you one exercise that I've kind of built into this discipline in my life that's proved to be so incredibly helpful. And it's simply this. When I'm reading the Bible, I ask three questions. Sometimes I write down these questions on a piece of paper or in a journal and look for the answers as I'm reading because they're always there. But the three questions I ask are this. Who is God? What does God do? And who am I? Look for the answers to those questions as you're reading. Who is God? What does God do? And who am I? It's always there. It's always, those questions are always answered explicitly in Scripture. It's always there. And those truths are things that you can bank on, places that you can plant your feet and stand when you have that desert moment. Who is God? What does God do? And who am I as a result of who God is and what He's done? If you'll begin to spend time reading God's Word, if you'll commit to continue spending that time. By the way, we don't, we don't ever graduate from the Bible, all right? We don't move beyond God's Word. Peter reminds us of this in 2 Peter when he says this in chapter 1. He's telling his readers, he's saying, listen, I know you know the gospel. I know you know these truths, but I'm going to continue to remind you of these truths over and over and over. And he says, here's the reason why, because I want you to be able to stand firm in the truth. And so we need to do the same thing, continually remind ourselves of the truth of God's Word. Immerse yourself in God's Word. If we'll do that, look for truths that speak directly to the obstacles and the weaknesses that you know that you face on a regular basis. 
You know, you know where Satan tempts you the most. You know the doubts that you have. So look specifically for those truths that you can stand on in that moment. Man, I just want to encourage you and challenge you with that discipline. Prepare today for what's coming tomorrow because we know there's a desert moment coming. We know there's a, a game of wipeout in our lives that's about to happen. So prepare today for that by spending time in God's Word. Can you imagine what it would be like if on the worst of the worst of the worst days, when Satan begins to plant those seeds of doubt, we begin to think the worst about ourselves, we begin to think the worst about others, we begin to think the worst about God, if in that moment we could find that steady, that firm foundation, that solid place and say, you know what, I don't believe this, what you say about me isn't true, I'm going to listen to what God says because it is written so i'm standing right here and i'm not going to be moved i'm not going to be shaken can you imagine what that must feel like what that would do in your lives can you imagine what that would do for your kids to watch you to see you be able to stand firm in the middle of that desert moment for your grandkids to be able to see you stand firm in that desert moment once again thanks for listening if you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.